we're going to continue today. We're in week three of Protestant. If this is your first time with us during this series, I, I, I want to give just a disclaimer. And that's not a disclaimer, but I just want to prepare you for what we're trying to do here. If you've been coming each week, you've seen this video each week, and we're going to show it again next week, which will be our last week of Protestant. And the reason being, most people today have no idea what the Protestant Reformation is. And the impact of the Protestant Reformation is so sweeping and world-changing that you would not be sitting in worship like you are today had this event not happened 500 years ago. Now, this year, 2017, we celebrated 500 years, just, this, just in October, of Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg church door, which is what sparked what would become known as the Reformation. Now, he was not the only reformer. And so far, you've heard us talk about a few, and I'm going to talk about some others. We are going to be talking about Martin Luther today. But the Reformation actually began about 200 years before that. And it was a slow process at first of people standing up saying something is wrong and we need to create change. We need to recapture what the church is supposed to be to its defining moment when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the door. So the reason we're talking about this is because it is the 500th anniversary and because it is something that has changed the world. And what many would say is that we are ripe for a new reformation in our age today. Much has changed in the last 500 years. And there are many that believe that the church has moved into some traditional directions similar to what happened then, though not nearly with as dire a consequences, that it is time to recapture the purity, the clarity, and the truth of the gospel lived out in our lives today, what we tend to do is we tend to pile on other things that are easier to define, easier to measure than a heart that is sold out for Christ. That's very hard to define and measure. Now, what we're not trying to do, depending on what your background or tradition is, because within this room today, we've got people from all different backgrounds, all different denominations that sometime you've been a part of. What we're not trying to do is to heap coals on the Catholic church. The Catholic Church of today is not the Catholic Church of 500 years ago. But what had happened back then, we need to learn from. And so last week we talked about reclaiming the clarity of the gospel that had been lost in church doctrine and tradition. And today what I want to talk to you about is the defining stand that was made at this period of time that today you and I have the opportunity to embrace or the opportunity to ignore. And that is the idea of sola scriptura. That our authority is through God alone and through his word alone, not through anyone else. Now what we discussed over the last few weeks is the reality that the church had been built on an environment where no one knew Scripture. No one had the opportunity to know Scripture. Scripture existed in its original languages, which would, would have been Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and then along the way had been translated into Latin. Now, I don't know about you, but not a whole lot of people back then studied Latin. Some of you may have. I remember when I was in high school, it was cool to take Latin, and you'd be like, say something in Latin. Well, it's not a spoken language. You know, they would just uh, give you a hard time. Now, if you don't even know what I'm talking about, then you have not had the blessing of knowing people that were proud of their Latin. But Latin was one of those languages. And I, I do not mean pig Latin, by the way. Some of you are fluent in that. That is not what I mean. 
The Latin version of the Bible was translated by a guy named Jerome. He did a lot of work on that, and it was, would come to be known as the Latin Vulgate. And if you did not either know Latin, Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic, then the Scriptures were foreign to you, and you relied on those who were leaders in the church to tell you what it said. So if I, was, if I really wanted something from you, all I had to do was tell you, this is what God says in His Word that I hold in my hand, and you would not be any the wiser because you can't read it. And so out of that were born a lot of doctrines that were incredibly oppressive on people who wanted to know Christ. One of the doctrines we talked about was the doctrine of purgatory, never found in Scripture, yet many today still believe that purgatory exists as that in-between place between heaven and hell. And what the church did in instituting that doctrine that was not in Scripture, though that's not what they said, by instituting that, they gave you the opportunity to pray your loved ones from purgatory into heaven. And if that was not your preferred way of getting them into heaven, a nice check to the church would do just as good. And so what began to happen was that power and wealth began to be held by the church, even that to this day, the wealthiest organization on the planet is not Microsoft, it is not Apple, it is not Google, it is not Amazon, it is the church. The church is the wealthiest organization on the planet, which is exactly what Jesus anticipated when he told his disciples to sell everything they have and to go and to follow him. But that's where we came. And if you're a student of of history and if you're a student of those in power, power has the ability to corrupt anyone. That's why we have to be so careful and surround ourselves with people that will hold us accountable because if you do not have any accountability around you, you will naturally ascend to a lot of self-centered ideas and if you have power, you will become corrupted. And so the church began to levy penalties against those that would speak against them and would levy these things called indulgences, which if you wanted to be forgiven for your sins, it had nothing to do with Jesus dying on the cross and a heart of repentance broken before him requesting forgiveness. You could just, again, write a check to the church and you would be forgiven. For those that spoke out, the penalty was often death at Worst, at best, you were excommunicated and you had to move away. And many of the reformers, this was where the, the, the faith that they met. The church began baptizing infants. And we talked about the Anabaptist movement. We're going to talk about one of the founders of that movement. We've talked about him a couple of weeks ago. We're going to mention him again today, Menno Simons, who was a guy who said, You should not be baptized unless you have come to a place in your faith that you can, with your own heart and your own mind, repent of your sin and request salvation from the Lord. But the church said, if you are parents and you have a baby, you can baptize that baby as soon as they're born and they're automatically accepted into the Christian faith, which is a great way to demand loyalty from people. Get them when they're babies. And yet for Christ, if we go back and we look at the clarity of the gospel, the gospel was for those, for every individual person, a choice that they had to make. And as we've seen over the last few months, actually, in our time here together, all of that is predicated not by anything that the church does other than to give the gospel in a very clear manner. 
It is all predicated by the Holy Spirit working in the individual heart. And so a person cannot come to a saving faith unless the Holy Spirit is active within them. And so for those that began to believe that this was a practice that was against Scripture, this is not what Scripture taught when it talked about baptism, the church would end their lives. And in one instance, 300 Anabaptists were drowned at one time. He said, you want to be baptized? You like baptism so much? We'll baptize you again. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've kind of gone deep into some of the atrocities that happened in the Reformation. And the reason I share those with you is not that I enjoy staying in those places. But if we do not learn from our past, we will recreate our past. We will relive it. And the church, as much as you and I live in a time where we want to believe that the church is all about love and service and care for others, that is not the way the world sees the church. In a world that's much older than our nation, they see us for the Reformation. They see us for the Crusades when, in the name of the gospel, we liberated nations for a national government. It's one of the reasons that we today have to be so careful that we, our nationalism does not take us to a place where our hope is in our government. Now, I say that understanding this is a very important weekend for many people. As we celebrate the sacrificing gift of many who have not just given their lives, but even those who have not lost their lives, but a piece of them never came back from their service in the military. We are appreciative for what they have done. But as followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that while we may give a great gift to a nation, that nation is not our home nation. Our home nation is, is our relationship with Christ. That's why over and over and over again, Christ said, my kingdom is not of this world. I, I'm a king, but this is not my kingdom. And so while you and I live here and in this time, and you and I are citizens of the United States of America, our kingdom is not of this world. And whenever we put all of our hope in our politicians, then we take our hope out of the hands of the one who created everything, who gave his life for us, and who says, I'm coming again, and I'm going to bring you to be with me for all of eternity. All of these things were on the minds of the reformers because the church had become so intertwined with national politics, even to the point where we will discuss today that the king of England would announce himself the head of the church in England, which is one of the reasons, if you look at some of our Christian history in the United States, much of it comes from the Anglican church in England because that's where our settlers were from and that was their experience. It was a government that was run by a monarchy who also declared himself the head of the church. I don't know about you, but that makes me uncomfortable. So the answer is not that we reject all things that we have ever done. The answer is that we seek what is and has always been the truth. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. It is your own ability to seek and to find and to live out the truth within your lives. And if you choose not to do that, you will allow someone else, excuse me, someone else's truth to take over. Will you seek out what is true? Or will you simply accept what somebody else tells you is true? We are living in an incredible time right now. The events that are happening around our culture and in our nation right now, they are absolutely incredible. I, 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 am, I so believe and am convinced that our nation is ripe for a reformation. The terrible things we're hearing about 
allegations of sexual assault and abuse, while not new, the fact that they're coming out in the way that they are is showing how troubling many of our social leaders are. Our politicians, our media personalities, those that we hold up as celebrities. It's amazing to me that a person can hold a role in a movie with some kind of standing in a society, and all of a sudden, after we watch that movie, we accept in our own minds that that celebrity has standing in this society as well. So much so that we have actors and actresses speaking at the UN, speaking at political events, running for office, that have no experience in any of the things that they're talking about, but they have been given credibility because of their position and their influence. Are we a people to just accept what others have said, or are we a people that will look to see what is actually true? Within all of this environment, we also have great pain and sorrow. As many of you probably are aware from what happened last Sunday at a small church in Texas, when a deranged young man walked in and opened fire on a group of people. Had some kind of beef with a family member, they think. And he went and he took it out on a church where that majority of the church's congregation is now gone within minutes. This is the world that you and I live in. Is it a bad world? I wondered through this week, are, are there people that will choose not to go to church this week because of that event? Are there people that will say, this is just, you know, the cost is too high. It's just not worth it. You know, if, I know that was kind of a weird thing, but, you know, it just seems to be happening a lot, so maybe I just shouldn't go. It's just to be safe. It's just better to be safe. Maybe we'll flip it on TV in safety of our own home. I, I wondered how many people that would affect in our, in our nation. I don't know. I don't know. It'll affect anybody. But as we try to navigate this world, we will navigate it either through what someone else tells us. We will navigate it through our best ability to assess it ourselves or we are going to seek something larger, higher, bigger to define the shared experience that we have as people, as humanity in this world today. Is our world a bad place? Our world is not a bad place. Bad things happen in our world. But God is such a redeeming God that when those bad things happen, He has the ability to redeem us. And He has the ability to bring us hope. And He has the ability to elevate and help us to transcend these things that are going on all around us. But I do believe that now is a time, it is a time for the church to reform again. And I believe that we can reform around these things. Martin Luther said, let the man who would hear God speak, read Holy Scriptures. Now we could just, if you would fully embrace that and you would let that sink in and marinate on that, we could dismiss, pray, and leave, and you would leave well fed. Let the man who would hear God speak read Holy Scriptures. Minnow Simons, who was a Catholic priest, was an interesting guy. I share with his story with you, I believe, last week. Talking about Scripture within his, his own life as a priest. For the first two years of service as a Catholic priest, never read the Scriptures one time. Had never in his two years of service ever read the Scriptures. And he said this, I had not touched them during my life 
For I fear if I did read them, they would mislead me, which is a great illustration of the Reformation. Those that with great passion, believing in the things that they had been told, living out all of the traditions that had been set out as truth to them. He was scared to death to read scripture for that it would make all that stuff confusing. This isn't something new. It's not like it took 1,500 years for this to become a problem in the church. Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, this is Paul talking to the church at Philippi, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is Paul, decades after Jesus walking on the earth, not 1,500 years. This has been a problem from the beginning. In fact, this is a constant warning in the New Testament. Seek the truth, because there will be many that will distort it. It's like one of our favorite lines in My Brother, Where Art Thou? Do not seek the treasure. I'm glad I'm the only fan in the room. I feel silly now. I feel silly now. All right. You need to go watch the movie. It's a great movie. For many, they did not seek the truth. And the people in power that they listened to were these very people that Paul is talking about. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame and mindset on earthly things. The wonderful news about this is that God saw this is the natural inclination of humanity. And he gave us an opportunity to overcome it. Now we, you and I, will choose whether we will overcome what happened then, what's happening now. I don't know about you, I love JFK conspiracy stuff. I love it. We lived in Fort Worth for several years, and I don't even know how many times we went to the JFK Museum. I, I really can't tell you. We would go through, and I was just certain aliens had had some role in it. You know, you just, all the conspiracy theories that go out there, you just, your mind jumps. It's just so much fun to think about conspiracy theories. And so these last few weeks with all of the news coming out of these new documents being released, one document in particular, I thought was just so interesting, and we would do well to be familiar with it. The number of CIA operatives that were put in positions of journalists so that they could, through these neutral journalist perspectives, share the story that the government wanted to be shared. I thought that was such an interesting, interesting release of information that that was even allowed to be introduced but you have to recognize that you live in a world that there are many people who will profit from keeping you in the dark. I don't have any theories on who killed JFK. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. But I do have great interest in who we give authority to in our lives. 
And yet we today are so enamored with beautiful, young, exciting people that we will allow them to speak something into our lives. And if they say it's truth, we will accept it. That's why I think it's so interesting what's happening in Hollywood right now. Why now? Why now expose all of this stuff? Why now? And we don't know. You know, one of the problems with all of these allegations that come out is that you, anyone can make an allegation. But whoever makes one, if they are truly victimized, then they need to have others come to their rescue. And yet others will see it as an opportunity to damage someone that they don't like by making an unfounded allegation. So I don't know how this is all going to shape out. Somebody needs to come together and put together an investigative group to find all this. Here I go. I sound like I'm a sheriff or something. I think I'm going to run. By the way, I've got some buttons out back. Mark Love for sheriff of uh, Hamilton County. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Um, Somebody needs to come out and find what is the truth. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that will get you through this world is what is true. Not what sounds good. Not what somebody else says is true, but what is actually true. And what Minnow Simon said was, I was afraid to seek out the truth because I was so comfortable in the falsehoods that I had wrapped my my life around. Martin Luther said, unless I'm convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils For they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. In other words, no matter who tells me anything, if it does not make sense through scripture, then it is not true. Now, I am absolutely expecting that you have to decide what sources are true and what sources are not. For the follower of Jesus, we don't have a lot of options. We have Scripture, which archaeology continues to go farther and farther in declaring there is so much consistency in Scripture back to the earliest days of the church that no other document that we hold outside of our faith that we say is a true historical document. No other historical document has as many consistencies as Scripture, though many still say Scripture can't be trusted. Yet many of the things you will study in history are things that are known to be absolute fact with less evidence of their truth than Scripture has. Martin Luther knew that Scripture had to be our bedrock of our faith. See, I can get up here and say all kinds of things. If you don't read your Bible, I can say anything I want. And you won't know the difference. If I am energetic, which I'm not really. If I was passionate, which I sometimes am. If I was good looking, which I'm not, but you're in, you endure it. We, that's why we keep the lights low. <laughs> it would be easier to convince you of whatever I wanted. But if you never read your, your Bibles... I could tell you anything I want, and if I said it in a way that sounded good, you would believe me. Again, this is not a new problem. Paul and the apostles all 
encouraged everyone they spoke to to test what they were saying against Scripture. Never one time believing that they should be believed for their own word, but only on the foundation of the Scripture in which they stand. It's one of the truths of the Reformation. It's one of our truths for today. And what I find so troubling is the number of Scriptures available today that go unread. We have the opportunity to know truth, and we reject it. Instead, willing and openly walking into someone else's truth that serves their purposes, but doesn't serve us and doesn't serve the glory of Jesus Christ. So let me give you a little bit of history here. Some of this I shared a little bit before. I want to share it again because one of the things that came out of this was the fact of if you have, does anybody have a Bible with them? Just hold it up if you do. Hold up your Bible if you got it. Some of you are like, yeah, that's right. You're holding up your phone. I got it on you version, right? Yeah, okay. Did you know you wouldn't have that without the Reformation? You wouldn't have that. If you did have it, it would probably be the Latin Vulgate. And had you not studied Latin, you would just be carrying around a paperweight. It would look cool. It's like those books that you put up on the shelf, you know, that you never read. You can go buy these books that have the, the really pretty covers, and you put them up there. Oh, what are those? Well, I don't know. They just look good. They match our color scheme. And they make me look smart. That's why we put them up there. You know, I've got a bookshelf up in my uh, living room. When you walk in my front door, you're going to see it. It makes me look smart. That's why it's there. I don't read those books. It makes me look smart. I want you to come in and go, man, Mark is so spiritual. Yes, I am. Look at those books right there. That says I'm spiritual. If you didn't know Latin and we did not have the Reformation, that book would be worthless in your hands because you wouldn't know what was in it. John Wycliffe in 1330, this is roughly 200 years before we experienced Martin Luther nailing 95 theses on the wall. John, uh, John Wycliffe, this, I'm sorry, 100 years before, is a philosophy chair at Oxford. He wants to teach and he wants to write and he begins to read the original language of the scriptures and he begins to look at what the church is doing and he says, this is not right. This is not the way the scriptures read. And so he begins to do what Rome at this point, Rome being the church, the pope at this point, has outlawed that the scriptures should always remain in these languages and should never be translated into any language that a common person should be able to read. Two reasons for that. One, they had very low regard for anyone who was not also a priest. And they thought, you can't possibly understand. The common man can't possibly understand God's word. It is too holy. It is too big. But also, they didn't want people to know what they were doing behind their backs. And so, the penalty for translating Scripture into a known tongue was, guess, guess what it was? Death. John Wycliffe tested this, and he translated the first New Testament into English. It had to be handwritten because there was no way to go out and print it. They say that the first Bibles would cost between one and three years' wages to buy. They, made about, they copied, hand-copied about 100 of them, and they passed them out. This is what John Wycliffe said. He said, You say it is heresy to speak of the Holy Scriptures in English. You call me a heretic because I have translated the Bible into the common tongue of the people. Do you know whom you blaspheme? Did not the Holy Ghost give the word of God at first in the mother tongue of the nations to whom it was addressed? God wants us to know his word. How, why would we keep it from people? 
He also said it helps Christian men to study the gospel in that tongue which they know best. A hundred years later, William Tyndale, he said this. He said, I had perceived by experience how that it was impossible to establish the lay people in any truth except the Scripture were plainly laid before their eyes in their mother tongue that they might see the process, order, and meaning of the text. William Tyndale translated the Bible into common English. He was killed for it. If you're a student of history, interesting thing that happened with William Tyndale The punishment was to be strangled to death and then to have your body burned, which is what happened. Interestingly enough, the parting words that he gave as he took his last breath was, O Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And then he died. He died so that we could have that book in our hands. It's an amazing thing what these guys did. Now, if you follow history, what ends up happening three years later, King Henry VIII is on the throne. King Henry VIII is the one who authorized the, uh, guess which version? The authorized version, which would become to be known as the King James Version. Now, the reason that he did this was not because he felt like you needed to have Scripture in your hands. He wanted to do this. This was also, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the great schism between the Eastern and Western Orthodox Church. There was another schism, which is not described quite in those terms, and that is the schism between Rome and England. This is where we get the beginning of the English church different from the Roman church, because up until this time, they were the same church, and the Pope reigned over all churches in any nation in Europe. And yet the king said, hey, you know what? I have a problem with that because right now I'm married to someone I don't want to be married to and you won't let me divorce her. And so he called out to the pope and said, hey, listen, I want to get a divorce. Can I do that? No, you cannot do that. Well, I'm king. Well, I'm pope. And so they said, fine, we're going to separate from Rome. I will now be the head of England, I will also be the head of the church in England. And this is where the birth of the Anglican church came. What we have today in our nation as the Episcopal church. The Episcopal church in the U.S. is formed from the Anglican church in the Church of England. Now, lots of changes have happened through the years, but that's where they came from. And so he got some people to get together and say, you know what, it's okay, King, you can get a divorce if you want. And consequently, That wasn't enough because two of his wives he would eventually kill. But regardless, in his attempt to snub Rome, he said, not only am I not going to bow to you, I am going to put the Bible in our common tongue. And when he did that, it changed everything. It changed everything. Just before this time, Gutenberg created the Gutenberg Press. It was one of the things that sparked also the Reformation because things could be mass printed. Even then, the first Gutenberg Bible, which was the first thing printed on the first Gutenberg Press, was actually the Latin version. The Latin Vulgate was the first thing printed on it. And it, even it, was a year's worth of wages to buy one of those. But God's Word was out there. Scripture was out there where you could read it, you could hear it, you could find truth. You didn't rely on somebody else to give you truth. You could find truth. 
And so through this process, the Bible began being translated into multiple translations, whereas today we have, the, the Bible is translated today in over 1,400 languages around the world with organizations like Moody and others who are seeking to put the Bible in every language that exists on the world today. That happened because of the Reformation. It launched what would come to be known by historians as the missionary movement because missionaries now could take God's word all over the world. Whereas before, if there was not a Catholic church there, no one could interpret nor speak authoritatively from the Scriptures. But now it's out there. The preservation of Scripture in a form that we can study in our own language is one of the greatest accomplishments of the Reformation because Scripture is our best tool for knowing and following Christ. Now, is it a good thing that these were the circumstances in which the church was allowed legally to now be written in the English language? Absolutely not. That's not a terrible founding story. That's not the story you want to tell. And that's often the way truth really is. You never want people to know that that's where it came from. But it's amazing how God works through all circumstances to accomplish his purposes, which is for you to know the truth. It is the truth that sets us free. 2 Timothy 3.10 says, You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, we hate those verses. I hate those verses. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Isn't that what we see in the news every day? Deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, or for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, what happens if we have Scripture, but we never open Scripture? Which have been plenty of times in my life that that's been my case. I get busy, I get distracted, I get kind of tired of reading I have other things that I want to do. So what happens when we neglect God's word? Still, all scripture is breathed out from God, but it is not profitable for teaching. It is not profitable for proof or for correction. And you are not trained in righteousness. It is so important that we understand the role of scripture in our lives because it is God's gift of truth to us in a world of people that make a good living deceiving us. And we willingly let them because it's easy and because it's comfortable. You know, we talked about shadow mission a few weeks ago. Here's the interesting truth about shadow mission. People who are on a shadow mission will never infringe upon your shadow mission. 
because they're comfortable with you being there? Are we comfortable in this reality in our lives? Scripture is not a reference tool. It's not just something that we hold or we have. I've got my Bible like I've got my ticket. It's not a reference tool. It's a key that unlocks your faith and training as a follower of Christ. I know of no way to follow Christ without His Word. That is why His Word is so precious to us. That's why we call that period of the church's growing power not the good times. They're called the dark ages. We were in the dark. And evil reigned. And men who said they loved Jesus oppressed the world for their own gain. Martin Luther wasn't such a great pastor that he pastored the entire world out of the dark ages. John Wycliffe wasn't the smartest scholar so that he could reason us out of the dark ages. Do you know what brought us out of the dark ages? It was finally the truth coming back into the world that they could read it and know it for themselves. I find it no coincidence that our world seems to be growing darker now as the role of Scripture begins to decrease more and more in our everyday lives. It's the way it works. It's the way it works. I firmly believe that a Christian without a deep and intimate knowledge of Scripture is like a man that has no breath in his lungs. You're essentially dead. This is what Scripture says. And today, the reason I believe that we are ripe for a reformation in our midst is that the greatest decline of the true and authentic church will be predicated by the decline of the conviction to be lifelong students of God's Word. You think, oh, Mark, that's a big sentence. Where'd you come up with that? 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you in the presence of God uh, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Let that soak in. Some of you already know this. You've already heard this. You've, you're, you're, you're tracking with me. You know what I'm saying is true. The time is coming. I would say the time is here. We're here. The time is here when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. This is where... Scripture tells us the world is going. I'm saying this is where we are. This is where we are right now. The amount of biblical illiteracy among those who say they are followers of Jesus is astounding. It is astounding. For me, I I don't know how we live without God's Word. I've shared with you multiple times now in this past year That through difficult times in life, the only way I make it through is through God's Word. And I don't mean, let me clarify again, I don't mean I'm so good at reading God's Word that I just interpret how to do everything right all the time. Because I think that's how some people interpret it. That's not it. Because here's what happens. When you 
entrench yourself in God's word, something amazing happens. Followers of Jesus are not alone, okay? I don't, I don't care if you're, by, you're the only believer in a community. Followers of Jesus are not alone. Scripture tells us that whenever a person comes to a saving knowledge of Christ, you will only do that if the Holy Spirit is ministering to you and leading you to that decision. Once you do make that decision, Scripture tells us, the Holy Spirit then comes and resides within you. It is a deposit, as, as Christ uh, describes it, a helper that is going to help you in this world, that is going to teach you all things that are good, right, and true with God's Word, that is going to show you how you are to live following the teachings of Jesus in a world. It's going to help you to have peace whenever you are provoked or persecuted or a gunman walks in among your church and opens fire, that there is the Holy Spirit there with you. And one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to unlock the truth of Scripture. So an amazing thing happens whenever you begin to let the scripture just wash over you. And for me, when I read, sometimes I read because I got to get ready for a sermon. And sometimes I can do that better than others. And you probably know which times were better than others, okay? Yeah, I don't have to, you know. Man, Mark really didn't do enough homework this week. But a lot of times, the most meaningful time with God's word for me is not when I'm studying for something. It is simply when I am absorbing it. I'm just reading through it. It's just, God, I don't know what you want to tell me right now out of the book of Numbers, because that's a lot of numbers, but okay. And it's amazing how many people that will read the New Testament, but not the Old, but yet in the Old Testament, you find such great hope and truth that God is all-powerful. God is worthy of all glory. God is there for you. God is always on your side. God is going to help you get through whatever junk you're going through, especially that spit I just gave on the first two rows. All, God's going to get you through that. And when you read the Old Testament, what you see time and time again is a God who says, when you fail, I am still here. When you jump into the New Testament, you begin to realize that Jesus says, I'm going to be with you forever. My Holy Spirit is just for a time, it's just for a period, because you know what? In this world full of deceivers and crooked men and women and people who will tell you what they want you to know so they can profit in this world, a judgment is coming. And at the end of that judgment, you, my followers, will be with me in heaven forever because I have already gone to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I'm going to get you, and you're going to come with me to that place. And when you let that wash over you, it's amazing. That person that you can't stand, that you work with, all of a sudden you begin to feel some compassion for them. Not because they're deserving of it. Because God's word is taking root in you and the Holy Spirit, it gets excited within you and begins to activate his word in the way that you live your life so that your very being changes, which is a very interesting idea because scripture says when you know Christ, you will become a new creation. That's what happens when you let God's word wash over you and penetrate into you. It's amazing the hope that comes from that. It's amazing the encouragement of God saying, this is real. For the reformers, knowing Scripture was not an end in itself. This always led to practice. Because practicing the Word of God was the true treasure. 
James 1.22 says it this way, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he who looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I don't know if any of you, if you know a trade, and I know many of you in here know a trade, you know you can sit and watch somebody for hours on end, and then you could leave and not know still how to do what they were doing. How do you learn a trade? You got to do it. I mean, you got to do it. Now, the first time you do it, hopefully you're not doing anything on a critical system somewhere. But you got to do it. You got to learn. You can watch somebody solder a pipe. Until you learn how to actually do a pipe yourself, you're going to be like, boy, this is a messy thing. My solder is just dripping all over the place, and it just looks worse than when I started. You've got to do it. You've got to get in there. You've got to practice. This is one of the reasons that you cannot wait until you're perfect at something to attempt it. Because that never happens. It never happens. You're never perfect the first time. Whenever we practice God's word, we are not perfect at practicing his word the very first time. That's one of the crazy things that the church fell into in the last few decades is the idea that you don't come to the church until you're perfect at practicing his word. It's like, gosh, that's not in scripture anywhere. But that's deeply embedded in many of our churches today. That's why some of you are here. That's why some people don't go to church anywhere is because somebody said, you're not good at practicing God's word. Don't come back until you are. Reformation is needed. Practicing is the true treasure because, and it's not that all of a sudden God's happy with you. You need to let this soak in. God is in love with you before you ever seek Him. It's like your kid that messes up and, like, you could strangle him, but you don't because you don't want to go to jail. Right? Some of you have been there. Some of you have been there. But you still love them. Nothing changes that. We have an interesting experience with Malia who is seeing us. If you're new here, she's, she's our foster daughter. And so she's been with us for about a, almost a year and a half now. And so she is in this, she's, she's just, she's almost, she's going to turn four in January. So she's young enough to really not understand anything. But at the same time, she's old enough to start understanding stuff. And she knows she's kind of in her own purgatory. She's not with mom and dad, which is where she wants to be. She's with us, and she knows we love her, and she loves us, but she knows we're not her mom and dad. And so when she messes up, she gets the exact same loving discipline from from us that our kids get, right? You all would describe it as loving discipline, right? Yeah. (laughs) Emma's like, yeah, maybe. But she doesn't know how to respond. I think our kids know we're not going to throw them out. At least they should by now. She's not sure yet. And when she gets in trouble, she'll still say something to the effect of someone's going to take her away. She's going to have to go live with somebody else. Which means we have to change the way we deal with her in those things. She's in the in-between that many Christians are believing that God only loves them when they do everything right. 
But that is not Scripture. And if you don't read Scripture, you don't know that. So that when you fail, because you will fail, because everybody fails, if you have not come to that knowledge because you have read it in God's Word that you can bank on it, when you fail, you will go, God is disappointed with me. I'm going to just kind of pull away a little bit. I'm going to be like Adam and Eve hiding behind a tree because I know he's mad at me. And that is not Scripture. That is not true. But you don't know that if you don't read it. And it is in those moments that you need it the most. Practicing the Word of God was a true treasure. I've got to wrap up here. I've got, I got three more hours worth. Let me see. What, what do I want to do here? Okay, I'm just going to close with this because I think you've got enough to chew on. Let me give you a few quotes to wrap up. Martin Luther said this. And this was a complete um, assessment of the church at this time. He said, The neglect of Scripture, even by spiritual leaders, is one of the greatest evils in the world. Everything else, arts or literature, is pursued and practiced day and night, and there is no end of labor and effort. But Holy Scripture is neglected, and those there were no need of it. Those who condescend to read it and want to absorb everything at once there has never been an art or a book on earth that everyone has so quickly mastered as the holy scriptures but its words are not as some think mere literature they are words of life intended not for speculation and fancy but for life and action by but excuse me by why complain No one pays any attention to our lament. May Christ our Lord help us by his spirit to love and honor his holy word with all our heart. If you're in the room and you have not read your Bible and you can't remember how long, you're not alone. Reading scripture is also not the test for God to love you. But you're missing out on God speaking to you. You're missing out on transcending this world. You're missing out on experiencing truth as it really is. And not in all truth. The scripture doesn't say anything about JFK that I can find. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if tucked away back there in the, you know, some kind of future Proverbs, it would say something about, and JFK was killed by. That would be cool, but it's not there. It's not the kind of truth that we're looking for in scripture. But it's the kind of truth that leads to life. Let me repeat what Menno Simon said. I can neither teach nor live by the faith of others, which is what you do when you take their word for it. I must live by my own faith as the Spirit of the Lord has taught me through His word. And finally, you repeat what I quoted from Martin Luther earlier, and I, this is my prayer for us. We are embarking on an adventure together in this life. As we've been sharing, this Easter will mark 10 years as a church for Journey. And in those 10 years, we have shifted directions so many times as we have sought to hear God's voice in our current culture. I believe He is causing a shift again, not necessarily in practice. We're not going to necessarily install a pipe organ in here, though that would be cool. Be honest, that would be cool. It would blow us away. 
Not that we all need to dress differently. Yeah. Ken, you're, you're come as you are, buddy. But there's something drawing me. As I talk to many of you, there's something drawing you. The Holy Spirit is moving in us. And I believe He is saying it is time to continue. And God is pulling us somewhere in the next 10 years. The thing is, is we're going to do this differently. And no one advocates this because it's messy. We're going to be meeting with many of you. And we're going to be asking you a simple question. How is, how is God drawing you? Where do you see God drawing our church? I believe we're going to find some consistent threads. And we're going to together determine where we're headed in the next 10 years. Because we're a, we're a community. This is not just about our staff or our leaders or the pastor. Or, it, we're a community. We go everywhere together. We encourage and strengthen each other. I find no group of people in my life, and I have relationships with lots of different groups of people in lots of different circles. I find no greater encouragement from any other group than this group. No other way of dealing with life than with this group. Because you are my brothers and my sisters, and I hope you see each other as your brothers and your sisters. We are a community. And so where we're going in these next 10 years of our lives, we will determine together. You'll be hearing more about that. We had hoped to begin that process. This, by this point of this year, in all reality, we're into the holiday season. It's best to wait. In January, the beginning of January, is when we're going to begin those interviews. We're going to begin sharing testimonies of what God is telling you. And we're going to begin forming what that direction is. In all of this, if I leave you with one thing, what I began with, I'm going to close with. And if you forget everything else I've said, still, if there was one thing for you to take and to chew on and for your life to be changed forever because of, it's nothing I have to say but Martin Luther. Let the man who would hear God speak read holy scriptures. So as you leave this place, if you are hungry for God's word, that is exactly where he wants you to be. If you feel ill-equipped, that is correctable. And it doesn't begin with a seminary course. It begins with opening your Bible and reading. I find so many times that I will read a passage of Scripture. I'll be like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I have no idea. Let's move on. But yet on another reading, coming back around, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. But it doesn't happen until you begin to wash, let the water of, of the Word wash over you. And so I would encourage you to do that. Uversion is a great option. Uversion is a, a tool that has all kinds of reading plans. I'm, I'm about to, to complete what has been my favorite reading plan so far on Uversion, and that is the chronological reading of the whole Bible, which means what that means is rather than starting with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, it, it kind of does that because Scripture somewhat follows chronologically, but Scripture is is grouped by genre. It's not grouped by dates. It's not sorted by dates. That's a better word for us, sorted. You know, we're used to that. Uh, it's not sorted by time. It is sorted by genre. 
So you have the books of the prophets together, you have the books of history together, you know, you, ha- you, know, you have the gospels together, you have Paul's epistles together. But what a chronological reading does is it takes you from the earliest believed texts of what happened first, and you read it through the last revealed text. It's really an interesting thing, and sometimes you'll go from book to book to book. Sometimes you'll jump between books. It's been really, I've, I've enjoyed it, and it's something I'll do for the rest of my life is, is continue to do this daily reading in addition to other readings. So I would encourage you, if you're not reading Scripture, to do that. You can find it on version. It chews everything up. takes very little effort. If you're riding in the car, a lot of times I'm riding in the car, and it will read it to you, which is not the way you want to always read Scripture. But I'm telling you, it's a good way to just let it wash over you. I mean, you don't need to know. You, you, let's be honest. You do not need to listen to Taylor Swift. I mean, your life is not better because you're listening to the new Taylor Swift album. Now, some of you may disagree with me, and that's okay. You can be wrong if you want to. But God's Word will wash over you, and I encourage you to, to do that. All right? All right, that's all I got for you today. Actually, I got more, but that's all I'm going to give you today. A lot of this, I believe, if you'll just spend the time in Scripture, will take care of itself. I want you to pray with me. I want to remind you a couple of things. One, if you'd like to stick around, if I haven't run you off today, if you'd like to hear more about Journey, we're gonna, we'll just take a, just a few minutes break. Go grab your kids if you have kids and just meet back in here, and I want to chat with if you if you'd like. Um, also, if a few of you guys or, or girls, whoever would like to stick around, can help us move some stuff, um, just meet over in Kidmo. If you're a guest and you want to help, we, we'll, welcome, we'll take anybody. Um, just go down the hall. Take a right down our children's hall, and you'll see the Kidmo room, and just meet in there, and Heath will be back there, and we'll help direct to get people moving. I think if we have a few people to help, I think it'll take like, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Um, so if you're able to do that, we hope you will. I want to pray with you, and um, I pray that God's truth will go before you, and I pray that it will illuminate your path. I pray that you will see God in miraculous ways in your life and that he will change every facet of your existence in these coming days when you go to work when you're at home when you're with friends wherever you would go father god we thank you that you have not only given us your word but you caused men and women to take stands that cost them their lives so that we could have it in our hands father i thank you that your word is alive and real and it is truth that we can bank on truth for all of eternity Father, with so many things going on in our world that we don't know what to believe anymore, we know that your word is true. Father, I pray that you would help us to absorb it. I pray that you would speak to us through it. And I pray that you would move us in a way that we would go out and let other people know the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love and that we do not have to be approved in order to receive your love. You love us no matter what. Father, I pray that in this time and in this place, we will commit to knowing your truth, and to living it and practicing it out in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.